evening. Good evening, everyone. So let me uh, pray. Father, I just thank you. I praise your holy name. I pray you will give us the taste it um, and the, uh, the hearts to receive. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk about mistakes. And there's a, it's kind of um, a lot baked into this cake I'm going to talk about. No, you never, who's ever baked a cake with just one ingredient? Don't, there's no such thing as one ingredient, right? You don't bake with just salt. So <laughs> there's a lot baked into this, but this is about mistake. This is about how we see ourselves. This is about pride and arrogance, right? And um, what it does. So I'm going to go to Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 12. Then the Lord said Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. No, kind of ironic, but David's the king now. But David at one uh, point used to be the poor, this poor man. Don't forget that. He used to be. This man, don't forget, David is a rags to riches story, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. Right? So this is someone, the thing, very important, how Nathan is crafting this narrative, right? It's, it's, actually, it's actually not a metaphor. It's an allegory. An allegory is an extended metaphor. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him, right? When people came back in those days, it was a matter of custom. You would take up your livestock and prepare a meal for them. <clears throat> so Radi took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared for it, Pre prepared it for the man who had come. So he didn't want to touch his own. So this man was, was greedy, Nathan has pointed out. He's pointed out greed. He's pointed out disloyalty. He's pointed out uh, insincerity. He's going to point out a few more things. Then David, listen to what David did. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. David even says right there that a man who would do such thing is callous, lacks compassion. There's a lot in this case. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. 
you are the man. See, this is what pride and arrogance does. It kind of makes you silly. It, 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 it blinds you. Thus say the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you, king over Israel. Look now for what. So this is the story for anyone who doesn't know. This is the story. Nathan is using an allegory, right? He's allegorizing to explain um, David, what David did with Bathsheba. And also now he's about to explain what God's going to do to David. Nathan then said to David, you had a man that says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword. I've taken his wife to be your wife, and I've killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah. They type to your wife, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. I mean, talk about shame. I mean, God is, this is a king. People are going to be lying with his wives in broad daylight. This is not going to be quiet. This is going to be open shameful, despicable. I mean, David is going to be like a laughingstock. Indeed, you did it. Listen, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. And under the sun, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And they said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born to you, shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. So David has had this affair with Bathsheba, and he had an affair, right? It was the wife of a man who was so committed to David. When this man came back from the battle, this man would not even go and sleep with his own wife. He was guarding David, and this is the man that David killed. I mean, listen, America is full of politicians who throw people under the bus, right? But this throwing under the bus, this is David throwing under the bus and driving the bus and then reversing it. It was so despicable, really. This was a despicable crime. And here's the sad thing about pride. David was a man after God's own heart. Take God that hates pride. You know why? You would almost think this, this thing that David did 
he must have been an unbeliever. No, he was full of pride. It blinds you. It blinds you to danger. This is what this is why God doesn't like it. If I actually tell you the truth, here's the biggest danger of pride. It takes you away from God because you think that you are God. What was the first thing Satan said? You shall be as God. Well, if that's not pride, I don't know what is. Pride is not just silly people bragging. Pride is a disposition of the heart. It's a disposition of the heart. You're saying you don't need God. And once you say you don't need God, you know what you're saying? I can do anything. I don't have any boundaries. Everything is doable for me. Really, because you think about it. Nathan comes to David. David's acting like nothing is wrong. I mean, David should have got it, but pride blinds you. You know, you know, pride comes before destruction. It takes people down. Here's the thing as well, is that pride stops you from looking at yourself. That's the first place you stop. People blame people all the time. You know, all the time for things that they should be taking ownership of, really. Nathan comes to David, and once you've done something like, like this, I mean, really, it goes to show how callous David's heart had become, because David should almost have been convicted by that. But he stands up, who do I go and get? Who is it? It's you. You're not able to even see, really. You know, there's a great song by Phil Collins. He was in the movie. It's called Against All Odds. And it's, it, this is part of the chorus. He says, take a look at me now. Really, take a look at me now. And you know what? That chorus is something you, every believer should be able to say about himself. David couldn't say that about himself. David would say, take a look at someone else. Now. Who is it? Who is it? Who do I go and get? You should be able to say, take a look at me now. Then tomorrow, every time it should start with you. In fact, actually, actually a lot of times when you've got pride, you've also got guilt. And the way to actually try, to, it doesn't work, but to try to mitigate someone's guilt a lot of people try to blame other people you know when you blame other people you stunt your own growth you stunt your own growth because you're not owning your mistakes and you stay there you know we see grown men and uh and don't get me wrong and women and the babies because they've never taken accountability for anything, it's always somebody else's fault. Who do I blame? Who do I throw under 
the bus. Really? There was a man in 2004 was actually running with another man, a vice president. He had a child with one of his aides and he got another aide to, to say, it's my child, it's not his. And this man's wife was dying of cancer, really. No responsibility. This man has faded, faded. God is about to do a lot of ugly things to a man in this country. It's going to be very, very ugly because he's arrogant. He won't listen. But God has to take him down for his own good. And it's going to be a cautionary tale. God hates arrogance. God resists the proud. And if you want to see a classical tale of that, read the story of Nebuchadnezzar. God brought him down onto all fours because he was arrogant. And when you're arrogant, you know what you do? You look at everybody else. Every single day, we should be taking inventory. Really. God says, and also understand, this man, I'm talking about not being taken down by political party. It's not a political problem. It's a theological one. God, you know, there was a great, there was a great, great uh, uh, statement by Daniel. When uh, Daniel was asking all of the wise men of Babylon, I love this statement that Daniel gives. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted someone to interpret his uh, dream. And essentially, it was a dream <laughs> that Daniel told him, interpreted the dream of God taking him down for arrogance about the great, there was this great tree and it got chopped down, and it was God is doing the chopping. If you're arrogant, God is going to take you down. But here's the thing that Daniel, this is how Daniel started. This is how Daniel started. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, God has given you a kingdom. Understand one thing. Even if somebody is ungodly, whatever they've got has come from God. Don't think that they're a sigh over. No, it all comes from God. And let me tell you something, parties and all of that, don't give and don't take people down. It's God that does all of that. Really. Oh, it's a conspiracy. You're a fool. It's God that does it. There can be no conspiracies without God. And let me tell you something. Also, whether you like a person or not, whether he's your guy or not, if he's arrogant, the laws are being taken down, apply to him. You know, the great thing about Jesus, the great thing I love about the story of Jesus is that if Jesus would have sinned, the law still applied to him. It said he was under the law. I love that. Really. I don't like the idea, oh, well, he's doing it. It's okay. Because after all, he's it. No, it's universal. And this is what David was thinking. I can go and do that because let's face it, you go and sleep with another man's wife. You then plan for him to be thrown into the forefront of the battle and be killed. Then you take that man's wife. You can't say I slipped and it was an accident, right? There's too many 
premeditated act there, right? I mean, that's very, very deliberate, right? You know, you get, oops, I slipped. So it's very deliberate. And it shows that David's heart was in the wrong place, right? Was in the wrong place. I mean, and here's the thing, is that it's almost like, okay, there's one said, okay, you're sleeping with another man's wife. The mistake, you know, Uriah, while he was guarding his house, listen, I did this thing. I don't want it to go any further, right? I'm sorry, right? But he didn't do that. He kind of used another bad thing to try to undo one bad thing. In other words, you just keep digging holes. You don't get yourself out. You see politicians lying to try to get themselves out. They dig a hole. It's going to bounce back. When you make a mistake, own it. Really, own it right there and then. God will forgive you. And still yet, though, God was merciful with David. Not going to take your life. Yeah, going to make your life hell. We're not going to take it. Right. And what does that mean? At some point, you're going to be redeemed, which he was. David said he was glad he was afflicted. But it was ugly. I wouldn't want my son after me trying to kill me. You know, he had his son Absalom after him. In fact, actually, Absalom, Absalom, his son, took a couple of David's wives. His own son took a couple of his I mean, it was ugly, really. The news of the world, CNN, Fox. I mean, it was all over the place. This was ugly. Social media, it was so ugly. You know, but yet that God still redeeming. Wherever you are now, if you've made any kind of mistake, if you've dug a hole, you might have dug a hole bigger than the black hole of Calcutta. It doesn't matter. God will bring you out. If you do the right thing, I was wrong, gone. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do any more ugliness, right, to try to fix this thing. So you can't fix wrong with more wrong. You can't. You can't fix wrong with more wrong. You can only fix wrong with right. Right? You can only, I mean, this would not have been as bad if David had um, um, owned it right away. And don't even forget, don't even forget, the kingdom ended up being split in two, really, because of this, because of this, right? Don't forget. That and so, and so, what we have to do is this is take a look at ourselves now, right? No, really, take a look at ourselves now. You're taking a look, you're blaming somebody else. that doesn't do you any good. It's deflection, the what doesn't do the other person any good, doesn't do you any good because nobody grows from that. You just get yourself more delusional you just dig that hole you know what we need to be doing we need to be filling in that hole not digging it deeper 
filling in that hole. So we're going to do a few prayer points. It's, Lord God, give me the grace to fill in the holes that I have dug for myself. Give me the grace to fill in the holes that I have dug for myself. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Father, we praise your holy name. Father, we pray that you will give us the grace, Lord God, to dig, to fill in the holes that we have dug for ourselves, Lord God, and to stop digging anymore. To stop digging anymore, Lord God. In fact, Lord, to put the shovel back in the tool shed. In Jesus' name, amen. Next prayer point is this. Lord God, wherever pride, self-deceit has blinded me, give me the grace to see again. You notice that the Apostle Paul, isn't it kind of funny that God didn't break his legs on the way to Damascus, his arms, you know, or anything else, he blinded him. And when Ananias came and prayed over him, what could he do? He could see again. I posit this, that that was an external manifestation of an internal reality that he was blind but now he can see meaning he was blind spiritually and now he can see and i believe also samuel samson was blinded in the new testament for the simple reason being is that that was an external manifestation of an internal reality. Because of what Samson was doing, all the nonsense he was doing, God allowed him to be blinded because God was actually saying, blind to be physically blinded because you're already spiritually blinded. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't be doing all of that nonsense, right? So it's Lord God, give me the grace to be able to see, take away all of the blinders, pride, Lord God, self-defeat, judgmentalism, Lord God, yet uh, uh, blaming others, Father, Lord God. Oh, it's my feelings. Oh, I feel this. Take all feelings away, Lord God, and give us the grace to focus in reality. Here's the problem about feelings. Feelings are based on your past experience of people. Oh, I feel this. Oh, uh oh. Somebody says to me, I see this. That's objective. But oh, I feel this. I feel that. In fact, actually, you can, because of your feelings, you can hear the exact same thing. You can watch the exact same shot on TV and you'll see it differently. You'll interpret it differently because your feelings, because of your feelings. Our feelings muddy up the waters. Lord God, give me the grace, Father, Lord God, to be able to see not through the lenses of feelings, Lord God, but truly through the lenses of the power of your spirit, Lord God, to see properly, Father, 
Anything that's blinded me, Lord God, take the blinders off, Lord God. Take the veil off, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We just praise your holy name. Father, we pray that you will give us the grace to see correctly, not through the lenses of feelings, but through the lenses of your spirit. We just thank you, Lord. Praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the caring call, help us out with the Sunday. Anyone who doesn't know the Lord, you say this prayer with me. Father Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you shed your precious blood so that I might be saved. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Father, give me the grace, Lord God, to always take a look at myself now, Lord God. Always, always be taking inventory, Lord God, to be changing, Father, to be growing, Lord God. And I will not put my trust in external acts like going to church, like going to service, but by applying what I learned to my internal character and to grow, Father, Lord God, and to become that person, Lord God, that you have created me to be. I just thank you, Lord. I pray you will give me the grace to leave the past behind me and to press on to that brighter future you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.